Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Carter comes up shooting. Welcome to Toronto Sport Matters, podcast number 35. With me, as always, to my right, Christian Graf, and to my left, Gregory Yershotis. Guys, up, the empire has fallen. The Philadelphia Eagles are your 2017-2018 NFL champions. I'll throw it to our resident NFL expert, Gregory Yershotis. What are your thoughts about this game, Greg? I know you're a big fan of football. You know what? I actually watched it because I heard that the Patriots might lose. I, and the, you know when they did, I I had to message my my good friend Tom, who I know was just devastated. <laughs> I think you watched it for Justin Timberlake. Let's not lie here. Good God, no! Oh, you know what? I actually was offended by one of the commercials, the Martin Luther King Dodge Ram commercial. I showed it also in a tutorial that I teach. All the students hated it, and we looked on YouTube. There were fourteen thousand dislikes, only five thousand likes. Martin yeah, Luther King terrible. made Ram tough. <laughs> um, no, like I think like the big narrative from the game was like Tom Brady was injured, Brendan Cooks missed a game. That's complete bullshit. The fucking Eagles didn't have their starting MVP caliber quarterback as well as their all pro left tackle Peters. Like I just I don't know. It was great to see a different team actually win the Super Bowl. Yeah, well, it was the way they did it too, being aggressive. You know, that's I hate the Patriots. I think everybody, a lot of people <laughs> who listen probably know that, but uh, it, it was good to see them fall, especially after they do that crap with McDaniel's and the Colts. Yeah, yeah, you, you, uh, Graffin's a massive Indianapolis Colts fan. So apparently his agent just, like, ditched him. He's like, you're, you're never going to get a job in the NFL head coaching job ever again. Oh. Burn several bridges. Um, talking about football, let's go toward basketball. Let's talk Toronto ball. Raptors, massive win last night against the Boston Celtics. Big win. A uh, couple wins this week against the... Portland Trailblazers and the Memphis Grizzlies, an unfortunate loss to the Washington Wizards. Guys, what are your biggest takeaways this week? I just want to throw one thing here before you guys interject. Fred Van Vliet. Fred fucking Van Vliet oh, is that spark plug off the bench. I know we'll get into this a little bit later. We're going to talk about, um, I guess, the NBA trade deadline. But Fred Van Vliet, Vliet like, yeah. like, do we really need to make a trade right now? Like, this guy is like a go-to heat check offensive weapon every single game, especially within the last couple of weeks. Like, as the season's been getting longer, you know, Van Vliet's been oh, yeah. showing up, you know, oh, and yeah. especially the last Brandon, couple I can games. see your, your chest brimming with enthusiasm for these Raptors, man. Like, I, you know, and, and I'm, look, I'm the same way. Uh, the Wizards game, the Raptors came out and thought they could outscore the Wizards without John Wall, but he, they didn't know. And they actually should go because we lost to them before without John Wall, and they played really good in that game. They beat us at home without John Wall. And I remember watching that game being like, wow, the Wizards are playing really good. 
And then we played them again without John Wall, and they played really good. And they've played a bunch of times without him, and they've been playing really good. Well, so here's a stat. I'm not. I can't remember where I found the stat, nor can I actually remember the actual percentage, nor the description of the stat itself. So we don't know. But if it's, it's stat, something. An it's, stat. Some, it's something within the line of John Wall. I think 78% of the time he's on the court is literally standing still, not much moving from John Wall, <laughs> who sort of developed a reputation as being this like quick, sort of elusive point guard. So I think it's more of a testament that you know John Wall was obviously playing hurt this year and sort of impact the sort of whole team well, chemistry. Well, well, so the big narrative is like the, the, the Wizards are playing better without John Wall. Right? Well, look, and and we're gonna get we're gonna get to the Wiz right because I want to talk about that. But I think the point in that game is we underestimated the Wizards and they came out and they played hard. Right, we really just showed up and started shooting threes, and when you know you live and die by the three, but we you know took it out on the Portland Trailblazers the next day. I think the key point in that game, which actually carried over into the Boston game, was the bench mob. Mm-hmm. Right, like when you see Portland, you see a team of two All-Star caliber backcourt players and like a bunch of other guys that they've overpaid. Okay, when you look at the Raptors, right, you see like. Again, we have our stars. You have good starters that actually surround those two, and then we have this this incredible uh, second unit. Well, it's a testament is, to last night as well. Like Kyrie Lowry played I mean. twenty five minutes, Fred Van Vliet played thirty one, and we no, beat the in, best team in the Eastern Conference. But in the Portland game, minutes, putting Van Vliet out there for the majority of the but game. But in the Portland game, what was interesting was in the fourth, after we had the lead, uh, the starters came out to kind of close the game out. Like we were up by 10, 15, whatever it was, and the energy wasn't there. So Casey just yanked all the starters. Yeah, they're the put, energy unit, right? Yeah, but right, put, brought back out the the uh, the bench mob, and then you and 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 they sealed the game. And then you saw it in the Boston game, uh, you know, and and you know, I, I I have my own thoughts on the Boston game, but you know, Graf, what did you see? Because I know the other two games, whatever. Well, no, let's talk Boston, man. Honestly, like the, the, the there's a theme in almost all the games, I think. And you were saying that the bench is the be- the bench has been the player of the week. I think it's all of them right now as, yeah. a, coll- as a collective unit. That's half the reason why they weren't. None of them individually were selected, you know, to the Rising Stars Challenge because they're all so good. Yes. I guess in their own in their own ways. But you see a theme here in all of these games, basically, and it's that the Raptors do somewhat well in the first quarter, and then it's always the third quarter. Mm-hmm. Whenever they come out, for some reason, that starting unit is always slow. Mm-hmm. And it's the energy unit that comes out midway through, and depending on how they play, when that's the first unit, DeMar and them come back out at the end of the third, it's all up for grabs at the end of the game. That's why you've seen Van Vliet in the, in the end of the game. That's why, like, these are the people that kind of push the ball, they push the energy for the Raptors the entire time. And... They keep saying now that you can insert Kyle Lowry and Samar DeRozan into the bench and it fits in. Yeah. How, like, what kind of world is, like, is oh. this? Is this the it's best? Never, it's never been like that before. No, no, and, and I mean, two questions. First, is this the best bench in the league? Yes. And, and, and second, how does this carry over then into the playoffs? Because originally I was of the idea, and Jack talks about this a little bit, I think, in the, in the interview. I was of the idea that come playoff time, you roll with your best seven and eight. Well, but going, is that really the best idea? Do you break up this group that well, is so good? Well, going to your second question, talking about the bench, like I, I read an article this week talking about like consolidating the Raptors' youth off their bench. Listen, I don't think there's like a marquee superstar on our bench. There could be that you know random prospect out of the group of guys we have on our bench, but everyone's so fucking steady. Yeah. That's what blows me away. I don't yeah. think we're going to have a perennial all-star coming off this bench, but I think what we have is a very solid group of kids on really friendly contracts that, exactly. you know, that, that can facilitate something out of the second unit, which a lot of teams don't have. Do I think we have the best bench in the NBA? Probably not, but do I think we have the potential to be the best bench on a nightly basis? Absolutely. Yeah. The upside is yeah. 
Yeah. Well, the well, consistency is what everybody was worried about. At the beginning of the year, everyone was like, you know, they're young. They're probably just going really hard at the start of the season, and, you know, it's eventually going to fizzle out. Yeah. But now that we're, what, almost at the All-Star, or, you know, we're almost at the All-Star break, almost at the trade deadline, and here we are. They're still a they're very, getting better. very, very, exactly. They're getting better. And they're pushing C.J. Miles sort of and Norman Powell out of the rotation. Bench dad. Also, also, Splash That's City, true. JV, baby. Talking oh. those three-point shots, man. I love it. I love when I see that guy take the three-pointer. That's a, another step in the evolution of this organization. Y- yeah, like, and you know what? The, uh, there was an article written on Raptors Republic by William Liu uh, at the beginning of the year. Okay, and I'm not, you know, trying to throw shade or whatever. I, I, I listen to those guys' podcasts. They're good guys. They're good Willie Raptors fans. But they wrote an article basically being at the beginning of the year, JV hasn't evolved it's time to trade him, give up, you know, trade him for two first, uh, uh, you know, a second round pick, whatever it was. Basically, just like dump the contract. Right. And, you and to s- be fair, I said something similar. Oh, no, but <laughs> okay. But you see now, like, the evolution that of his game. And to me, do you want us just to say you're right? You were right all along, Greg? Well, no, but he's we'll got give a it to, to you. Go. I think he could be an all star. Sure. I think sure. he could be an all star. <laughs> I think he really can. Look, the, the three point shot, though, to me, is less important than his ability to dominate. The paint and play defense. His defense has gotten better, right? And he has become a go-to low post scorer. But you're right, stretching the it it just creates a little bit more space for Demar. And why would it be so surprising well, that he's hitting shots? He's a good shooter from the free throw line. We talk about the evolution of the Raptors. What the Raptors were in the first place. The Raptors were complete luck. You talk about a new regime and Masai Ujiri coming in, trading Rudy Gay, and lo and behold, we have an actual roster after we traded Rudy Gay. And the team constantly evolved. I think the big narrative is yeah. the team was stagnant. In order for us to evolve again, we had to emphasize floor spacing and three-point yeah. shooting. In order for our team to evolve again to become, you know, an NBA championship caliber organization, we've got to evolve our players. And JV's an testament yeah. to that. Evolution. You're, Important. It's no, it it's actually a really interesting point you made. How this group has, you know, in the Dwayne Casey era, uh, evolved, so to speak, developed, changed, whatever you want to call, adapted, which is the 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 root of evolution, right? You adapt, um, and that's really interesting when you think about where they started. Just like we still use the pick and roll, okay? That's still the bread and butter, but there's all this other little bits of animation that we have around it, mm-hmm. and look like. We're the best team in the East, man. Well, it's also a testament to Dwayne Casey. He's a nurturer, man. Like, not mm. too many coaches would even allow a guy like Jonas Valanciunas to take a three-point shot. Like, yeah. Casey allowing him and giving him the confidence to be able to take that shot in a game he was is actually a the one to him evolving as a coach He as well. was actually the one. I heard him in an interview last year. If he it's had open, been getting, take it. Yeah, he'd, he'd been getting JV to do it in practice, eh? Mm. Right? And, and, and it's like he wanted him to practice first before you get out there and adjust. JV still has trouble adjusting to game speed. He rushed some shots against Boston. His hands are a little bit wobbly sometimes, yeah. so he can't catch the ball, and he complains after every single foul. But other than that, I mean, he's good. He's I, a better three-point shooter than Siakam. Yes. Yeah, yeah. No, he's for shooting sure. like 40%. Well, there's a, there's a stat right now. No, he's, he's even shooting higher than that right now. I think he's shooting up closer to closer to like 45. And for seven <laughs> for seven so footers fun. in the league, it's it's the most right now. See, Graffin, I got, <laughs> That's a, so I got a question for you, buddy. Okay, so we're kind of coming toward the playoffs. We're talking about a young rotation. We're talking about a young bench specifically. What is our playoff lo- rotation going to look like? Is it going to be the same unit we, right now, game in, game out? Or are, is Casey going to change it? Are a couple guys going to sit? Are a couple guys going to get more playing time? What do you envision the Raptors rotation being come playoff time? You know, it's funny because I, I truly do think that the Raptors, they might, just because it is the playoffs, later on in deeper series, 
I think early on we're going to roll with our usual unit. I don't think there's going to be too much cuts in the minutes. If anything, just a little minor ones. But maybe as the series go on and we face Boston deep, Mm -hmm. they might try to do that. And by default, I just think that the bench is going to do exactly what they've done all year. Whenever we've tried to have the starting unit go out there, they've just kind of played flat sometimes. And you have to play the bench. And then the bench comes in with all this energy. And what are you going to do, sit them after that? In the playoffs, it's such a grit, grind kind of game, which yeah. the bench is so perfect at. And they swing the ball so much, so they make the defense move. They they take away so much energy from the other side. And I think that's huge. Uh, even in the Boston game last night, you saw the bench face off against the Kyrie unit pretty much for yeah. the whole first half, I think, uh, right after the, the first subs. So it was, uh, I think, yeah, they're going to use the same rotation pretty much primarily throughout the playoffs. Because they're just so good, they're gonna force them to do that. And like, much. like Jack said, sorry to interrupt you, Brandon. Like Jack said uh, yesterday on the uh, the broadcast, he goes, "You know, I don't want to see them cut the rotation down. They, these guys are good. This is what gives the Raptors uh, uh, their mojo. Like Casey's doing something different. This is something. Di- I would like to actually see the experiment of the two. They play like hockey lines, five on, five off. See what know? I love about this team, though. I love about this bench, especially yep. coming to playoffs. Like, can any team keep up with us one through ten? You know what I mean? And what makes it, like, this unit no. so great is that we have so many different looks defensively. Depending on what team we play in the yes, playoffs, yes. we have more depth than any organization and they're built in the Eastern that way. Conference. And I, I, I honestly can't envision a team beating us in a seven-game series. I know it's a very Homer statement to make. No, I know this Boston put, can't this beat us. This podcast called Sport Matters. But who the fuck is beating us in the playoffs in a seven-round series? The, honestly. In the East, maybe. I, I still think Cleveland is the team to beat. I, I have a sneaking suspicion that they'll find a way to get it together. And then you got LeBron. Unless, like, they, co- they collapse inward on themselves through things outside of, like, the, the basketball. I don't know. I think like the, the thing that's like most striking about Cleveland right now is Isaiah Thomas sort of like Sucks. talking about the team <laughs> after every single game. There's no silver lining. There's no like mm. you know like like any positive statement. It's always the negative. It's always like him being extremely harsh to torn Ty- Tyrone Liu. You know what I mean? The guy is like dismal on the court since he came back. And at least the guy can provide a little bit of like verbal positivity in the locker room. But like it clearly shows the like mm-hmm. the, the, this the. the lack of organization or cohesion in that unit right now. I don't know. I'm not big on Cleveland. I wouldn't be surprised if they lost in the first round to a low, lower-seeded team in the Eastern Conference. Does honestly. he not understand that he's basically just diminishing all of his value in free agency right now? We're talking about a five foot seven point guard who can't really jump anymore, who can't really run anymore, who can barely yep. shoot, who's a defensive liability... Like, I just don't know what he brings to the table. And I know like people are talking about speculation of like Cleveland potentially trading Isaiah Thomas. What the fuck could they get from him at this point? They They're should... also talking about like LeBron James leaving and like, oh thank God we buy Isaiah Thomas and Kevin Love. That is not a foundation for an organization to move forward past LeBron. All right, guys, we are going to go to our next segment. We had the opportunity last week to speak to Jack Armstrong himself. First, last the week. The privilege. The privilege. Uh, Greg talked to him last week. You can listen to the first part of our interview on podcast 34. Second part, Christian Graffin chatted with Jack. What did you guys talk about? All about the Raptors. Uh, A lot of questions about the Raptors. Basically dove into that. And then we did a little bit of a rapid fire at the end, which is a little more casual. We got to see uh, Jack's take on a few topics, like the Bills and the playoffs. And uh, yeah. Uh, his his preference in uh, Hillary or Bernie. There there was a whole bunch Gra- of questions. Yeah, there. Graf, I'm I'm actually really excited to to hear this because I was working security on the top of the spiral staircase there, so I didn't I didn't get a chance to hear some of his answers. Yeah, I want to apologize to our listeners. We tried our very best <laughs> to kind of please the situation. What happened was there's some like makeup company. Sephora. Have, Sephora was yep. having like a, a meeting. What's what's the word I'm looking? 
looking for? A con- conference. 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 There yeah. we go. And they were just stomping down the stairs. Cackling. Just an oh, army of cackling women. You right, did guys, a good here. job of security. <laughs> Greg, Greg here shot his cracks and skulls. All right, guys, here is the interview. So just for part two, sort of, uh, of the interview, more about, I guess, the Raptors uh, on court, I guess, and sort of the way they've been playing. And you just mentioned now, I guess, about the, the young core and how they've sort of, you know, influenced a lot of the Raptors' play style. And uh, during broadcast, you mentioned that, you know, good organizations permeate sort of from the top down um, with the sort of the younger generation being influenced by that older generation. Uh, do you see or when do you see the Raptors sort of going through that transition of the younger bench sort of taking over? Uh, and is it going to be sort of with the contracts, like the end of the three years, or sort of progressively throughout? You know, that's a good question, and I don't know the answer to that one because a lot's going to depend on how how much these guys really develop. Uh, I don't, uh, and, and uh, this is not being uh, cruel. This is being kind of just giving you my observation. I don't know if I see a franchise guy among any of them. Mm-hmm. Yet I see a lot of really good players. So a lot's going to depend on kind of what level they get to on the, on the ladder, you know? Yeah. Like, uh, you know, like how good is OG Ananobi? Like how good can he really be? Can he carry a team? Is he, is he, a, a, you know, is he a perennial all-star? Is he a Hall of Famer? Uh, it, what is he, you know? What is Jakob Pertl? What is DeLon Wright? What is their true ceiling? And it, it, it's still evolving. So uh, I, I think it's kind of right now uh, one of those questions that uh, you want to continue to evaluate uh, as you go along here. And I think when the games get bigger, and they're going to get bigger, and the competition is there consistently, you'll find out what level on the ladder they are. Like, you know, you kind of you have a suspicion that a Jalen Brown and a Jason Tatum uh, – kind of maybe potentially where they could be going. But you don't really know until you, until you have to play uh, in a seven-game series against good competition. Then you find out. And now you say, okay, all right, because I'm a big believer. I think you can really do this, and, and uh, I've always done this uh, when I was a college coach, and I've always done this as an analyst uh, in the NBA. Uh, I like to look and say, okay, what are the Raptors statistically? And I'm not a, I'm not a stats guy, but I, I do think you can, particularly these numbers, you can get a lot more out of than just this, a lot of the stuff you hear. Yeah. Okay, what are your numbers against the top six, uh, the other 15 playoff teams in the league currently? And let's go even further. What are, the, what are your numbers against the top four teams in the East? What are your numbers against the top four teams in the West? Like the teams that are legitimate title contenders, potentially. And where do you stack up? How do you play in those games? How does your defense perform overall? How does your offense perform overall? So, you know, your shooting numbers or your defensive numbers might be skewed in favor when you play the bottom 10 teams, what are, you, what are you all about when you play good competition? And I did that as a college coach. Like when we played the better teams in our conference or the better teams that we were ranked, that uh, your opponents that are ranked, how did you play against them? You know, if I'm uh, looking at my recruiting for the future, 
And I can't be deceived by, well, so-and-so had a pretty good year, you know, here's his numbers. Well, okay, great. But if I'm trying to keep my job, if I'm trying to win, I got to be able to win the big games. And in order to win the big games, I got to figure out, can my guys play in those games? Can my defense hold up in those games? Can my offense execute at a high level under duress in those games? Because good quality competition creates exposure. Uh, I mentioned this on the air quite a bit uh, lately. The Raptors had a seven-game stretch. At the time when they played, all seven teams going in were either 500 or better. And that was uh, Miami, uh, a goal, Miami, Cleveland, Golden State, uh, Detroit, uh, San Antonio, and Minnesota. In that seven-game stretch, and the Raptors went three and four in that stretch. Um, but the four games they lost, they had a chance to win. So I came out of that saying, okay, I think this is a good team. But you also got exposed in those games. And the good thing is, when you get exposed, you need to get exposed. So now that you make adjustments, number one, you teach, you improve, you get after guys, and you make sure you challenge. And as a front office, you look and you say, so what what, what did I learn from that? I learned that they don't shoot the ball well enough. You learn that when you play good people. Uh, Number two, their defensive rebounding still has holes and they got to become a better defensive rebounding team. And I think three, that they need to improve the level of execution that they have in the half-court five-on-five game. Uh, Those are their three things. Uh, Those are three things, in my opinion, when you ultimately meet your maker and you lose in the playoffs, they'll lose because of one of those three attributes or maybe a combination of those three things. You know, when they die on the hill, that's the hill they're going to die on. So now they still have time to correct those things. Uh, Can you add another shooter to the roster by February 8th? Uh, Is there enough in place right now? If you don't, can you improve enough internally to make more shots? I don't know. Uh, Can you improve as a rebounding team enough to close defensive possessions and not give up putbacks? Uh, Can you improve under heavy duress against a Miami, against a Boston, that are into the ball, that have a great degree of physicality, that the referees allow a loose whistle? Can you score and win an ugly 92-91 game? Or are you going to lose the Boston that way because that's the hill you're going to die on? And to me, that's what you find out when you play competition. So I welcome it. And I'm sure Dwayne Casey and his staff welcome it. MSI Ujiri and his staff welcome it. Because I think now they have a crystal clear picture. Uh, I don't know how many games are left in a season. What are they, 30 games? or I don't even know. I, something like that, 30 games or something. But I think they already have a, have a pretty good sense of, like, if you're going to get to the NBA Finals, if you're going to win the East, you got to get better at these things and you know it so that's good the question is can you do it right and i mean it kind of go leads into 
I guess my next question already about the playoffs. One of the things you mentioned there is sort of that last possession of a game or the last couple possessions of a close game. And you see in playoffs in many sports, it's completely different. In basketball, it slows down in the playoffs and becomes a lot more half-court oriented. For the Raptors at the end of a game, is it as simple as moving the ball around more or should fans be sort of okay with a DeMar DeRozan or Kyle Lowry isolated situation for a shot? I I think uh, it's a combination of all that, honestly. I mean, you want the ball in the better player's hands because the better player attracts a second, potentially third defender. Um, And usually your better guys... uh, make more putts. Okay, yeah. <laughs> They're usually the more talented guys. I mean, we used to have a joke when I was coaching. If we're all such great coaches, why do we recruit so hard? Like, if I'm a great coach and you're a great coach, then I could take yours and beat mine. Mm-hmm. I could take mine and beat yours. But it don't work that way. Talent still prevails. Sure. <laughs> so, exactly. Right? So I still got to move my chess piece, and you got to move your chess piece, and I still got to try to get the ball in my better player's hands because he's going to make his putt. And, and, and that's why there's scratch golfers, and that's why there's guys with seven handicaps. And the guys with the seven handicap, maybe they get seven strokes, but most of the time they're paying the other guy money. And right? That's me always. Yeah, I believe that. I'm the club champ at the 19th hole. The other, the other 18 holes are a problem. But, but you get my point yeah. is that it, it really – so we're trying to get the ball in the hands of the, of the better player because even under duress, that guy's got a better chance of making the shot than the guy who is the 14 handicap. Even though he's wide open. And Correct. And, but, the, but on the other hand, you still got to trust each other. And you got to trust and you got to play the game the right way. So I guess the question would be this. If you really get down to it and ask Steve Kerr and John Paxson, they would tell you, playing with Michael Jordan, in, def- in the defining moment, and those were two defining moments, we're all basketball fans, the greatest player on the, in the history of the game to this point, Michael Jordan gave the ball up to Steve Kerr and Kerr drilled it. Uh, he gave the ball up to John Paxson, and John Paxson drilled it. So uh, I, I think when it's all said and done, to me, I, I think that's a uh, I think that's a defining quality, and it, it's something very very important that uh, I think we all have to work through. And that is the Raptors. Yeah, I think Demar Derozan and Kyle Lowry can't be ultra ball dominant. They got to trust that for the entire 48-minute process, and maybe even into an overtime, you still got to trust and play the same way consistently. Yeah, your coach is going to get you the ball, but that doesn't mean that you have a a, a, a license and an, an entitlement that you get to take the shot. Almost, yeah. You don't necessarily get to take the shot. Uh, you might have the ball in your hands, but that doesn't mean you actually – have to be the one to take the shot. Uh, but that's a matter of trust. That's a matter of growth. And that's something I still think they have to work through. I think DeMar DeRozan, you see it now, DeMar DeRozan has the ball in his hands at the end of each quarter. Uh, that doesn't mean he, he is entitled to the shot. Uh, they want the ball in his hands because they trust that he'll make the right call. Almost a quarterback type situation. Correct. And, and 
but who doesn't do that? I'm, you, if I'm coaching James Harden, you don't think I'm going to put it in his hands? If, you, if, if I'm coaching LeBron or Kyrie, I'm not going to put the ball in their hands? Uh, it's utter insanity. Uh, you know, I mean, so, to, yeah, so yeah, you got to get it in their hands. The question is the, the reads that that guy makes and the guys around him, and that's what I go back to before. Do they have enough shooting on this roster? Because when things get bunched up and crowded and people say, I'm not guarding OG Ananobi. I'm not guarding uh, Pascal Siakam. I'm leaving those guys wide open. Go ahead. Give it to them. Make them prove it. You know, and, and we look in the past when the ball found Patrick Patterson, it didn't go in. When the ball found Damari Carroll, it didn't go in. That's why they're not here anymore. The ball doesn't even find Patrick Patterson anymore in Oklahoma City. I mean, he barely plays. And, you know, and you're trying to win 50 games a year with him. And he's a good player. And Patrick Patterson did a good job for the Raptors. Nonetheless, you know, he had his limitations as a player, just like every player. So uh, I think there's a lot more pressure than people recognize and a lot more responsibility than people recognize on Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan. Because deep down, those two guys, they know what they can and can't do. And more importantly, they know what the guys around them can and can't do. But that's all part of the sales job of a coaching staff is, is getting people to trust each other and believe in each other and trust that if I give the ball up to C.J. Miles, under the gun, in, in a big moment, he's going to make the shot. Right, and I mean, you talked about the trade market a little bit there and Patrick Patterson. Um, a lot of people right now, or a lot of Raptors fans, are looking at, you know, they're going to the trade machine. They're trying to make deals work for DeAndre Jordan and Wesley Matthews and, and Pau Gasol. Um, what's more important, you mentioned Patrick Patterson. He was really a glue guy yeah. in the system. And did a great job. It seems like the chemistry on the second unit is, is so vital to their success. Is it worth breaking up, do you think, that second unit to, in order to get sort of that next big-name superstar? Or is it almost better to just keep going within internally? I don't think you're going to get that next big-name superstar. I don't think that's a realistic thing. I think you're close right now. Yep. I mean, you're close right now. The question is this. In 12 months, in your own division, and you got to play these guys four times a year each, will Philadelphia be better 12 months from now, with added cap space, added assets, what will the Celtics look like in 12 months based upon what they have coming up the pike? Gordon Hayward out for the year. You know, more, more assets, cap room. Uh, LeBron James, I understand all what's going on. Who knows if he's back in the conference right. or not. But the, the big question is, is this as good as it'll get? This time next year, can you still be in a position to be right there? Or will, because of just the natural ebb and flow of events, that sooner or later those young teams are going to start to emerge and they have elite high picks and you don't. And that your, your better guys, particularly a Lowry and an Ibaka, are going to be a year older. And are they going to still be at the high level they're at? Or are they going to be, you know. Taking so, a step back. Sort of. So 
I personally think this is your time right now. I think this is your window. This is it. Now, uh, do you need a superstar in a transaction? No, I don't. I think what you need is you need an, you need an, another insurance policy. Uh, if you're going to shoot the ball the number of times you do from three consistently, you need an insurance policy of another player that can make those shots. Because uh, in my opinion, I think if you have enough shot making, you'll, you'll execute better under duress. Uh, your defense will be better because you're, 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 you're scoring more, so people aren't running on you as much, and you'll be more in your set defense, and you'll rebound better. And you'll obviously have better shooting. So it's like this. When you get to the Major League Baseball playoffs, teams add an extra pinch hitter. They add another reliever. They add a left-handed arm out of the bullpen to get one out. A hired gun. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking that now this is truly chess pieces. We're not talking about DeAndre Jordan. Well, what is he going to do that uh, Jonas Valanciunas isn't doing right now? And actually, Valanciunas makes his free throws. So the question is, based upon the economics, based upon what limited resources you have and le- limited flexibility that you have, you know, the question is now, can you, can you get to a point where uh, you really come up with a guy that just can, can just make a little difference that in one game makes two shots? Because... It might be 3-3 three, three in a series. <clears throat> or it might put you, it just, it, all, that might be all that it takes. And that guy might play three games in a seven-game series. But if in two games he makes enough shots that you win a game or two in that series that tips the scales, that's why we're here. It's almost like a Norman Powell last year <laughs> in the playoffs where he kind of came out of nowhere and helped us really against the X-Factor. Milwaukee Bucks. And, 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 and here's the question, like, like, and here's the tough part. Like Norman Powell last night, here we always sit on a Wednesday afternoon, Jan- Wednesday, January 31st, and last night against Minnesota, C.J. Miles doesn't play. Norman Powell does, and Norman Powell comes in and plays really, really well. And what was the difference? I mean, he... Made a few shots, yep. and you know, hold on once. He, this is a tough spot to be in because we're right. A lot of traffic on the stairs, unfortunately. <laughs> well, you know, you picked the spot right below the elevators. I know, I know. And the conference has come in and out. That's, I think Greg's been upstairs, so please. But there's nothing. <laughs> I was gonna say. <laughs> you should ask me where to go. I, this is a really, quite frankly, bad you spot to be. Spot here? The lobby well, would have been, but it's too late now. We're. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and it's a good one too. It takes um, what was I saying? Um, oh, Norman Powell. Norman okay, Powell, so yeah. Norman. So Norman Powell comes in the game, and you know we're talking about: Do they need another shooter? Do they need right. another shooter? Well, if he had, if he had had a good year, I don't know if you'd have some of these concerns. So the question's going to be for the Raptors: If they don't do something. The question's going to be now, are they going to feel comfortable enough 
with a Norman Powell. If he comes in, is he going to deliver like he has delivered in the playoffs before? If he does, maybe you do have enough shooting. I personally think that that's something that potentially could happen. At the same time, if you have the ability, without it costing you a ton, to uh, acquire a piece uh, that it gives you roster depth in that category, I think uh, it would be very wise to do it. Because, again, 12 months from now, you might not be back in this situation, and you might not ever get back here again. Who knows how long the window's sort of open for? I personally think the window's open now, and it might continue to be open just as wide next year. Um, I personally think that the window will be is open wider now than probably it'll ever be. What do you think about bringing a guy like uh, like Joe Johnson, for example, in the fold? Like a good veteran presence, we probably realistically wouldn't be giving up that much, many assets to kind of bring in on a team that's kind of struggling now in the Utah Jazz. Uh, actually, Utah uh, is playing really well right now. They had a big win over Golden State last night. Donovan Mitchell. <laughs> and, and honestly, um, here's, a, here's something you got to consider. Uh, to me, if you're, if, you're goal, if you're Utah, now that New Orleans had the injury. You know, Clippers trading Blake Griffin. Clippers well. trading right. Blake Griffin. Suddenly, are you, do you want to go for the eighth spot? So maybe they're not in a trade mode. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I thought uh, Jonas Jarepko would be a guy uh, that maybe a Toronto or a lot of teams would look at. Uh, he's a very reasonable contract. Maybe a Joe Johnson. But, who, you know, who knows if they're even going to be in play. Uh, they might be looking to add somebody. No, that's a great point. The West is kind of flipped upside down. Yeah. Last you know, on the other hand, you get an eight seed and you got to play Golden State in the first round. Is that really something that is going to answer any of your long-term woes as a franchise? I don't know. But I think for Toronto, there's a number of guys out there that are on small contracts that can shoot the ball. The question is, what would you have to give up to get them? Uh, you know, they have a they have a trade exception with the Corey Joseph situation. On the other hand, they're they're staring at a a cap situation that makes it very very difficult uh, to be real flexible in, in getting things done. Whenever and, I find myself on the trade machine, I'm trying to facilitate a trade, and I can never make it happen with the current roster and the way that salaries are. It's always the inclusion of like a Noguera, Bruno Caboclo contract or something. Yeah, right? so we are sort of handicapped financially. They're very handicapped financially, and and. Uh, you know, you, you're probably going to have to throw a, a, you know, a few number two picks in or whatever. That I don't worry at all about. I don't worry at all about the number two picks mm-hmm. because, quite frankly, I think the whole G League is a number two pick yeah, now. Right, right. I, I think the G League has gotten to a point now. I mean, if you look at the uh, impact that Fred Van Vliet and T.J. McConnell have made as non-drafted guys, mm-hmm. uh, I think you could easily find uh, guys in the G League. That can do what a second round pick can do or for you. Like Kenny Meeks, like Aaron Baston for Ryerson playing for the G League right now for Toronto 905. You know, you know? I mean, so, so there's plenty of guys in the G League that uh, if you need, you know, a 10 day or whatever, you need a call up, whatever. Uh, so I, I don't think hoarding second round picks like you used to mm-hmm. is as big a deal. I think those are, if somebody wants to take them off of you, I, I think you gladly give them up. If that's going to help you right now, uh, get another piece. Uh, but again, I don't know if the inclination is going to be to do something. Uh, we're eight days away from that. 
Uh, I've been pretty adamant that I feel that if, if they could add another piece uh, to help uh, just even kind of what I just said, I, I think uh, to have a little more insurance shooting-wise, uh, I, would, I would consider it. So just to switch gears as a last question, so to speak, uh, this is more out of curiosity, I guess, but um, we've heard a little bit about, not too much though, about uh, the Ibaka situation and what happened there with him being suspended by the team. Um, we know that he fights on court. Is there anything you can tell us at all about that suspension? And is Ibaka simply just a guy that gets fired up easily? Or what exactly is it with him? I think Serge Ibaka is a very passionate guy. And... Uh, I think he, he uh, wears his heart on his sleeve. So I think he's one of those guys that uh, emotionally cares, uh, emotionally gets riled up and into things. And uh, I, I think, you know, when you look at his track record as a player throughout his career, I think he's, uh, he's had a really good career. So I think when it's all said and done, uh, it's a people business. And every guy's different. Every guy's wired different. Uh, so sometimes your greatest strength is your greatest weakness. Sometimes your passion leads to being temperamental on occasion. On the other hand, if you take that out of him, he's not the player that he is. So uh, I, I think, you, and, and, and in terms of like uh, the issue that happened internally, uh, I think there's not a team that's ever existed. There's not an organization that's ever existed that hasn't had occasional uh, acrimony and uh, uh, verbal confrontations and disagreements. Uh, I have three older brothers. Uh, I had my issues with my brothers. Uh, you know, think of you guys with your siblings and, and, your, and, and your friends. I mean, it just, it happens. It's a family. It's a team. So that stuff happens all the time. That stuff happens in terms of just disagreements and, uh, uh, you know, beefs or whatever. And you work through it. And it, it's no big deal. It's, it's water under the bridge and you move on. So to me, uh, uh, it's a whole lot of nothing. Well, I wouldn't necessarily call the Raptors like a passive organization, but you can see like the, the influence sort of like Draymond Green's had on the Golden State Warriors. You know, Clay Thompson and Steph Curry aren't typically known as like very aggressive, verbally bombastic individuals, but Draymond Green's that sort of like volatile and necessary presence. The same thing within the Toronto Raptors organization. Keep in mind, Kyle Lowry's a little more intense in demeanor than Steph Curry, but you know, I think it is important to have that sort of character, that personality, that sort of fire on any organization in general as well. Yeah, I think, uh, I think a guy like Lowry has been when you, when you really evaluate, um, you know, kind of the straw that stirs the drink, you know, a.k.a. Reggie Jackson, uh, his quote, uh, I think uh, Kyle Lowry has been that straw that stirred the drink here. His, his toughness and his leadership by example. I mean, think about him. He's in the All-Star game. He leads the league in charges taken. I mean, what does that say about him? He's one, of, he, he's one of the best rebounding guards in the league. I mean, he's terrific. Uh, his personality defines a lot of it. And then, and then I think DeRozan's consistency and his work ethic and his improvement uh, and Dwayne Casey's steady leadership, I mean, those are the things that define you. So, yeah, but you need guys that care. You need passion. You need emotion. Uh, I can't stand people that are bland. I can't stand people that are boring. Uh, I, I, I like people that have personalities, that have 
a little edge to them. Uh, you know, and those are, you know, as long as it, you can control it most of the time, uh, it's good. It creates, uh, you know, sugar and spice, right? <laughs> Makes everything nice. So just to get a little bit off of basketball, I guess, just a very quick set of questions. Uh, a little rapid fire. A little rapid fire, completely off uh, sort of, or a little bit about basketball as well, but a little, a little bit about off the, the Raptors. <laughs> so um, let's just go through some of these really quick. Who's, uh, who influenced Canadian basketball more, in your opinion? Vince Carter or Steve Nash? Um, well, I think in the... Uh, I think in the grand scheme of things of getting kids really excited about the sport, I would say, uh, I would say Vince Carter because he played for the Toronto team, the Canadian team. Uh, and, you know, Steve Nash was playing in the United States for the Mavericks and the, and the Suns and the Lakers, and his team never, you know, got to, you know, meddled in the Olympics. Right. So um, uh, I think Steve Nash did a lot. Uh, has done tremendous amount for the sport. Uh, but I think in terms of if you look at a lot of the young guys that are playing in the NBA right now, were they more inspired by uh, Vince Carter or Steve Nash? I think they would almost overwhelmingly say Vince Carter. Do the Bills make the playoffs next year, and should they go after Alex Smith? Well, they can't go after Alex Smith now because Alex Smith's on the Redskins. Right. So Sorry, uh, Sorry I mean. Uh, but do I do, do I think they need a quarterback? Uh, obviously, I think they need to look at their quarterback situation, but the economics got to make sense. You can't sink all your money into that position if you don't have a guy that's truly great. I think you got to develop. I think their offensive line needs to be better. Um, their defensive line needs to be better. They have a lot of areas of improvement. I think Sean McDermott did an amazing job. I think they overachieved getting to 9-7. and seven. They overachieved getting to the playoffs. I don't think they're that good. Um, so, uh, And the beauty of, of the NFL is it starts all over again at 0-0. Zero and zero. So, you know, the fact that they were 9-7 and seven doesn't mean they're going to be 9-7 or 10-6 and six next year. They could easily be 5-11 and 11 next year. Uh, but I, I, I think there's some good pieces to build on based upon – uh, what he put in place with that group, and uh, now he's got to continue to build on it. Do you have a pick for March Madness Finals yet, or is that still? Oh boy, that's so far off right I now. I know. Uh, I mean, I, I I follow it and I watch it, and uh, you know, obviously the top team, the most consistent team, has been Villanova. But the fact that you're con- the fact that you're consistent doesn't mean you're going to win it. Um, you know, the, the, the dynamic of a six-game uh, NCAA tournament and the dynamic of, a, of, a, um, of, of just that one-game season mentality on neutral courts is a lot different. And it's, it's a lot uh, – so it's hard to pick. Uh, I usually wait – honestly, I wait till Selection Sunday. I see the brackets, then I look – but obviously right now the most consistent team in college basketball by far has been Villanova. Awesome. And lastly, what's your favorite city to travel to outside of Toronto, obviously? Uh, well, there's a lot of them, honestly. I mean, I... I uh, Sacramento? No, not Sacramento. <laughs> Definitely. I, I would say, you know, like the city that we're going to today, Washington, D.C., is a, a great city. Uh, you know, obviously New York's my hometown. Uh, Boston, Chicago, L.A., San Francisco. I really enjoy Portland 
Oregon. It's got a very uh, eclectic, uh, thriving restaurant and bar scene. Um, underrated. Uh, and then I, two cities I miss on the NBA circuit that I wish we had teams back in are Seattle and Vancouver. Uh, I like when the Raptors have training camp or preseason game in Vancouver. Uh, and Seattle, I would love to see uh, them get a team again. I worry now about the NHL getting in there before the NF and NBA. I don't know if there'll be enough, uh, if the market can handle another team after the NHL. Uh, will there be too much saturation in Seattle? Similar to Vegas, I guess, with the hockey. And the yeah, you know, I worry about it. So, uh, uh, but I, I think those would be some cities that I really enjoy going to. I got, uh, I got some, two questions, two questions. Um, how's the workout routine going? Are you still jogging in the mornings? Uh, well, the weather's been really lousy and I haven't been feeling good, but I've been yeah. doing the treadmill. Okay. And uh, my New Year's resolution was to drop some weight, which I have, and I feel great. Uh, but I haven't been running outdoors as much, so I've been stuck on the treadmill and lifting weights. So, uh, but I do. I'm an outdoor runner. I love it. Uh, but like this next few days here coming up is going to be super cold, and uh, so I'm going to stay on the treadmill and lift. Uh, Hillary or Bernie? <laughs> Honestly, neither. Neither one of them. Uh, neither one of them. Uh, if if I could have a beer with one or the other, I would definitely Bernie. He's a New York guy like me, and uh, he seems that I think I think I could have a, a cold beer with Bernie and a few laughs. But uh, neither one of them are my literally my cup of tea. You were really, really hoping. You were really, really hoping that Jack was going to say, "Man, fuck Trump, fuck Hillary. I'm a pro Bernie Sanders guy." You know what? Were you disappointed? Just out of curiosity, were you disappointed? <laughs> no, no, because he's uh, did it ruin his mystique no, behind no, no. Jack Armstrong? No, no, because I think I had heard him say something in one of the broadcasts about Bernie. You know, and I know he's a guy that's that's for the working people. Okay, and what what he said was is that he would have a drink with Bernie, but he doesn't, he wouldn't want to vote for either of them. And really, like, the state of the American politics, if I was an American, I wouldn't really want to vote either. I agree, so. and we got to thank Jack again. That was a great, such a good he didn't interview that he, he didn't have did. to meet with us schlubs. You know, <laughs> he, you know, he didn't have to take the time to meet with the guys that throw coffee at, at SUVs, you know? Well, hopefully he'll be back uh, soon. It was a minivan, okay? Uh, <laughs> I just want to give a shout-out to uh, Wayne Parrish for hooking that up for us. Wayne, you are the man. Thank you so much for supporting our podcast. All right, guys, moving down the list. The biggest, biggest thing happening this week is obviously the NBA trade deadline. It's Christmas for Christian Graffin. This is your shit. This is your jam, man. Yeah, I love it. You excited? <laughs> of the speculation. Course. Okay, so we'll Be start off with night. the Toronto Raptors. Not much really to talk about. The team is sort of handicapped with making many moves. Obviously, a team that's like maxed out two guys like DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry, also paying like $20 million to a vodka, another 17 to Jonas. Very little space to move. I'm going to throw it myself. I, I don't think there's too many things we should do. I mentioned this on the podcast, Red Van Leet is that sort of like guy who was evolved into like what we would need at the trade deadline. I don't Ste see a point in making Freddy, a trade. Man. I don't see a point in making a trade in the first place. The only thing I would like the team to even consider is signing Joe Johnson when he eventually gets bought out by the Utah Jazz. But 
beyond from that, like I don't see a point of making a trade. It would have to be like Bruno Caboclo and a second rounder. And I don't think too many teams in the NBA are really high on Bruno. There might be that random organization that sees his like long-term potential as like a prospect, as like a stash guy, and like throwing a second rounder, maybe get like a Marco Bellinelli or something. But like I just that, don't yeah. see like I don't see a point of like making a trade right now. I think we can. You want to get I, Jonas Jerebko, like uh, Jack was thinking there? Don't you dare disparage the good name of Jonas Jerebko, the Scandinavian sensation. I I I agree though with with the set. Look, I agree with what you're saying. Uh, don't mess with some. You know, don't fix it if 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 it ain't broke. Hmm. That being said, um, a veteran shooter to have off the bench. To so like, you were you were mentioning last night on the Facebook message chat, Tim Hardaway Jr. Eighteen what? and a half million dollars. <laughs> have you heard of the NBA trade machine? How can that trade possibly go through? You, you know what? I, I just started thinking about him because I saw that clip. Did you see that clip of Giannis? Oh. I mentioned that again. Jesus oh Christ! God. Oh my oh, that's God! The dunk of the century. I can't yeah. really say what I stated on the messenger chat, but uh, but let's let's just say you got jumped over. No, look, look, <laughs> no, like for you're you're right because of the salary cap concerns like we have to go for a guy I think that gets bought out like again like a Marco Bellinelli, Bellinelli Joe Johnson I think there's a few other guys that See, are the guy I was boat. thinking of was like maybe like Tony Allen but like how do you fit Tony Allen in the rotation for the Raptors you know you have no, to put him on the court shooting. with like Cal Lowry and like CJ Miles in the bucket at the five and like Siakam or something no, and he's like, old and slow yeah 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 they were talking about this on the Bill Simmons podcast and I like this sort of metaphor uh it's like he's like that junkyard dog on the side of the court he may never play but he's like just grab at you the oh, entire yeah. time. Well, intimidation oh, yeah. from the bench. The intimidation I, I like factor. But I mean, we, we have a guy like that. We have a Baca. You know. <laughs> I thought you were going to say no Gara for He's a, a tough guy. <laughs> oh, man. Graffin, what do you think about trade deadline for the Toronto Raptors? Do we make a move? No, no, I agree with you. I Honestly, like, the last few games have kind of showed it. I think the Boston game cemented it for most people. And again, we're on a yep. high right now. If we had lost last night to the Celtics by 20 points, yeah. we'd be looking for the answers. The narrative would be completely different we, today. We would, then, be, yeah. we would be looking for answers right now, honestly. Trade everybody, blow it up. How are we going to beat them in the playoffs? We can't do it. Like, it, yeah. it would be awful. So... Uh, we're on a bit of a, but no, I don't think we should trade anyone. Mainly because of the fact that we're so restricted. You don't uh, think we they really pick up anyone though. We have an open roster spot, right? Yeah, but again, even that could happen after the trade deadline. Yeah, that's what I mean though. Like, so I don't think we should make a move at the deadline. So oh, to okay, speak. yeah. Yep. I mean, I've heard the name like Rodney. You said already a couple names. Rodney, but, like, Hood. Rodney Hood has been floated around. But I'm like Rodney Hood. I was, like, I, I know Other a lot teams of people are speculating about this, but the trade that makes most sense to me is like Blake Griffin going to the Detroit Pistons. We talked about this last week. Team is bereft of shooting options. Why not just pack a stand? Stanley Johnson over to Utah for Rodney Hood. Stanley Johnson is like an ideal small ball forward to play beside Rudy Gobert. Favors is one year left at 12 million in his contract, and Rodney Hood would be that perfect sort of like shooting guard floor spacer. I don't the think absolutely on, need right now. They haven't given up on on Johnson yet. On Stanley, yeah. that's yeah. fine. That's fine. I just don't think you like I, Hood doesn't he, have the he, upside he, anymore. That that I think they think. Stanley yeah, but Johnson. but Hood is a good rotation caliber basketball player. He's a 14, 15 point per game guy yeah. who can shoot it from 40% from the line. What are you getting from Stanley Johnson? You're keeping him because of long-term upside or as opposed mm. to just letting him go to get a proven young commodity in Rodney Hood, who also has yeah, yeah. an expiring contract. Yeah. Um, all right, guys, I, everyone knows we were going to talk about the Cleveland Cavaliers, so let's get it out of the way. Let's have the Cavaliers trade deadline speculation chat. Uh, the big narrative with the Cavaliers... Coming into, I guess, deadline time. I guess they don't like it. each other. They don't. They don't. They don't like each other, <laughs> and they are the most horrendous defensive team in the NBA. Um, the names have been thrown around: DeAndre Jordan, George Hill, etc. They're also None talking about flipping the Brooklyn pick. Graffin, would you trade the Brooklyn pick for any of the guys I mentioned? No, no. I wouldn't do it. Honestly, what about Marcus Gasol? 
No, no. no. <laughs> Cleveland is LeBron's leaving. Like if it's not evident now, it's like how can you not see this? He yeah. him and Dan Gilbert are not getting along. There's reports out that he's not even talking to him or to Kobe Altman. He doesn't want anything to do with the front office. He doesn't want anything to do with the coaching style. He's just letting everything happen as it is. It's, he's given up. If you've watched the games, like the game last night against Orlando was pathetic because I literally turned it off. I went over there, flipped it on, saw the score. Cleveland was up by 20, flipped it back to the Raptors game quickly, and then I later on saw that they Shelvin lost. Shelvin Mack looked amazing last night, man. But even in, the, in, in the quick time oh, I flipped back leg. when they were losing, <laughs> LeBron, no, nobody, not one player okay, is so, playing defense. So let me throw this out here. Am I, crazy? Am I crazy for saying this, okay? The only way, Percy, I would think about training the pick if I was in Gilbert's shoes would be like, Bringing it in a package of like Aaron Gordon and Evan Fournier, or conversely on the flip side, maybe like Kemba Walker and like Nicholas Batum's contract for like Tristan Thompson in the Brooklyn pick. Am I yeah, crazy yeah, I would do something out there. I would do something like that. I would yeah, because get... you're going to get a good player now that can help you, obviously, mm-hmm. and you know it, the pick. Who knows what can happen with that pick? Then right? you got but, like five point guards on that team. You, what? What if you trade? What if you made a trade for John Wall? <laughs> Right? There's How? there's issues in, in you know, you, Cleveland? You, yeah. You switch Thomas and Wall, right? So the, uh, but, but I guess Wall's on a contract and Thomas like is on a contract. He's making, like, Wall's at, like, what, 20? Oh, he's at 18 this year, I think, and he's going up to, like, 42 next year or something. What about Isaiah like Thomas that? and the pick for John Wall? But why would the Wizards want to make that trade? Because John Wall is a cancer on his team. Oh, you my God. Okay, Did moving, you hear him? Moving, moving Did you down hear him? the list. It's 18 million and then 19 million. I'm not having this, this team discussion doesn't, His teammates don't like him. Did you read that he article I sent right you today, by the Cleveland. way? Did you read that the Derrick Rose article I sent I you I did. The, interesting, interesting. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know if you guys read this at all. S.I. No wrote a really it. cool article <laughs> about uh, the shoe contract of uh, Derrick Rose. Um, one of the more interesting things about it was that, like, I think three hundred thousand dollars yearly is paid to his brother, and then an additional eighty thousand dollars peers paid <laughs> yeah. to his friend. He secured, con- yeah. he secured yeah. funds for his entourage. Yeah, it's until tw- until twenty twenty five too. <laughs> so they get paid. There's yeah, I think a good four million dollars. I think that's, that gets paid to them amazing. over the the time. Yeah, I tr- I tweeted out the earlier the uh, the actual details of the year by year contract, and at one point he makes seventeen and a half million dollars in I think two thousand. I think it was 2013, 14, or something like that. And the way it's structured is just ridiculous. I just don't understand. They could technically get out of it. There's been so many clauses in that contract that he's that broken. that he's broken so far. Yet Adidas still hasn't got out of that contract. Why? You really lost my mind. Like Adidas commercial, it's a big table. They're all having a feast. The marquee representatives of the Adidas brand are all sitting there chit-chatting over drinks and dinner. This star, this star, this star. And then fucking Derrick Rose is on my TV screen for some reason. It just boggles my goddamn mind. The guy is a half cadaver. I love the man to death. I think he was one of the most dominant, amazing, fun basketball players to watch of our generation. But the man can't even be in the fucking court this He's fallen out of love with the game too. You can see it in his like mannerisms on the court. If you quit basketball for like what three weeks, clearly you're not in love with the game as much as you used to be. Put it this way: if I was an Adidas stockholder right now, I'd be pretty, uh, yeah. pr- pretty questionable. I'd be questioning that decision right now as to mm-hmm. why we're still paying Derrick Rose yeah. tens of millions of dollars a year. Well, minimum. after that article, I mean, this might lead to something, right? Like if it gets publicity. 
Well, it's rare that you have to get to see one of these contracts leaked, especially that many details of it. And uh, you wonder, you said there was, what, like 15 people at that table in the Adidas commercial? They're averaging $10 million a year? How much is Adidas paying just, just to get those sponsors? It's truly confusing It's me. crazy. All right, moving down the list, folks. Another L.A. team in discussion that may be a big player in the NBA trade deadline is the L.A. Clippers. L.A. Clippers made a very splashy move last week, trading all-star power forward Blake Griffin to the Detroit Pistons. Multiple guys still could be on the move. I know they re-signed Lou Williams today for a three-year contract, yep. third-year player option or team option. I can't remember off the top of my head. I'm um, not sure either. It was about 20, 20-something million. It was about eight years. Eight, seven million a year, I think, or eight million a year. Nonetheless, the big names out there: DeAndre Jordan, Avery Bradley. Um, do you think DeAndre Jordan is going to get traded this deadline? Well, what pa- team would take him? Like the Bucks, maybe? Wash was saying that his trade value has gone down a lot. Not a lot of teams have really wanted someone like that recently. Like, what's so. he bringing the table though? Like, I, don't I don't know. If he was, if he was twenty-four, it would be different. But he's not. He's he's thirty. So you know, he's got a couple more years left. He makes a lot of money, and he can't shoot. We just said right there, like the guy's skill set is purely dependent on his athleticism. Is yeah. you know the way he could run the core, how yeah. physical he is in the low post. Guy approaching thirty. Do the Clippers realistically think they're getting like a, like a top fifteen first round pick for him? Like, are they fucking delusional? Not, <laughs> not with the way that 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 the picks are valued in 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 today's NBA, right? They they've um, well, it's a good, yeah. that's a great point. Like, I would be surprised if Memphis got a first rounder for Tyreek Evans. I mean, with all the turmoil like you're really talking about. Raps should go after Tyreek Evans. Yeah, I, well, Tyreke maybe. Evans. I mean, he's... He could push us. If yeah. we get Tyreek Evans, that's like... We see, have a juggernaut offense. See, my fear of Tyreek Evans is that, like, he he's never played like this ever in his entire career. The guy's been in the league for how long? And I feel like he's the kind of guy that mm-hmm. once he, he gets put... He played really well earlier yeah, but once he get once he get put into a complimentary role... He doesn't really thrive in those type of situations. No, I agree. When he can develop his rhythm, when he has the ball in his hands, you saw it in his first year in Sacramento and obviously seeing it this year with the Grizzlies. Once he gets the opportunity to be that go to guy, that's when Tyreek, you know, comes to play. He could but be when captain of the bench mob. Yeah, but like I was mentioning <laughs> just right now, if he plays like 21, 22 minutes a game, like the guy just won't get into his rhythm as a shooter. He's not going to uh, sustain this point. type of shooting good right point. now. I don't think view him as a good fit for a lot of teams. I'd be surprised if anyone would give up a first round for Tyreek Evans. Getting back to the topic at hand, another guy in the LA so, Clippers was Avery Bradley, who just came in from the Detroit Pistons. Personally, for myself, you know what makes a lot of sense on paper? The Oklahoma City Thunder pick, making yep. a trade for Avery Bradley, considering Roberson just went out for the rest of the year. You know, with a, I think it was a knee injury. I can't uh, remember off the top of my head. That, Bradley, that's who would like, they give up though? That yeah, be, they they've they're kind of tied their hands. No, you're right. Like, like the Clippers would have to be in love with like Abrams or Ferguson. They'd have right. to throw in a second rounder as well. Like it'd be very or, or Josh Houston. Like the, it, the trade, I guess logistically doesn't really make much sense. But if they are able to manage to get yeah. Avery Bradley, I wouldn't that, throw it out the window that the Oklahoma City Thunder could beat the Golden State Warriors in a seven-game series. They 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 smashed them last night. I was gonna say uh, after the Raptors game. I watched that. Did game. you see Paul George and Clay Thompson? Paul George was eating him alive, man. They match up. The Thunder. I've been saying this. It's okay, <laughs> they beat them twice this year, and they've both times beat them by double digits. The first time they beat them, it was in OKC. They talked all this shit to them, and then you expect the Warriors in their own house last night to come with a better effort. OKC slapped them on their own court. They never led. The Warriors never led on their home court. OKC had them the whole game. And they didn't just beat them. They thrashed them. Like, you know, Westbrook had his snarl. Mm-hmm. The, the, the first three games of uh, uh, three plays of the game were Steven Adams, like, tomahawk dunks. Well, I think the biggest thing, like, the biggest change from, like, the, the, the 
issues in the first half of the season to what we're seeing now. I just think these guys like playing with each other. Yo, the chemistry. Like, I think yeah. they're finally getting to the point where it's like, Jesus Christ! I got like Russ Brooks, like when on I the got fast Paul George, break, I got Camelo on the court. Brent, I got when they're Steve on Adams. the fast break. Those boys, when they run together, are are incredible. Like like they're I've never seen two such amazing athletes mm-hmm. like r- run on a fast break and like it's like Showtime Lakers shit. Like I think they can beat the Warriors in a seven game series. It might just be matchups. Right, but they have the will and the physicality to do it. You know, what's also shocking. On. Warriors, thirteen losses this year. They have lost thirteen games. You say they're. What do you think, Graf? Yeah, there are too many injuries. I would say they're learning from the year they tried to go for it and yeah. get the record in the regular season, and they're just they're just chilling right now. Look, it's the same thing about the Spurs. All those years that they were good, like no one worried about the regular season. It's not really an issue. So until the playoffs starts, we'll see. In the first round, they're going to sweep whoever they face. The second round, they're probably going to do the same but thing. It, it, look, look, Houston's beat them two out of three. OKC's beat them two out of two. That's not nothing. And and OKC, if you look it's at their record hope. against the top teams, OKC they beat all the top teams in the league. They're, right? It's they just lose to the because they those guys have to get up. Right? They have a switch, as Shaquille O'Neal would say. They have a switch that they turn on. Another level, another gear. I'm excited for the Western Conference playoffs. I don't think it's going to be a cakewalk for for Golden State this year. Talking about another team that might be a major player in the trade deadline coming up tomorrow at 3 o'clock, the New York Knicks. Kristaps Porzingis gone for 10 months with a torn ACL. Um, Realistically, the team is probably going to make every effort to bottom out this season. You know, getting thing. potentially getting one of those like top six, top seven picks, um, another piece of the foundation. What if the Knicks get, like, Luka Doncic, Graffin? Like, I know Porzingis probably isn't coming back until oh. the second half of next season. And I, I know this is, like, one silver lining and a catastrophic situation. You're talking about a seven-foot-three, you know, very fleet-of-foot big man. And you look at the past history of big men with these, these, these injuries with their knees, you know, most, like, chiefly Yao Ming, I guess. I think the only guy that really no, came he, back him from a catastrophic foot. injury like that, or, like, knee or leg and feet, that kind of shit is yeah. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. It's going to be tough for Porzingis to come back in full health. Donchick on the Knicks, man. I just like that. Well, they already traded uh, Willie, uh, Hernan Gomez, today. Two seconds. Yep. So I think that they, uh, as soon as Przingis went down, honestly, I think this is kind of a blessing in disguise for the franchise because they weren't, they probably weren't going to make the playoffs. They were a few games out. They were still, you know, I think in 10th right now. Yeah. They're just, if anything, now it gives them an opportunity to sell at the deadline a lot of players that they have, lose a lot of salary if they want. They already are looking pretty good for the future in salary target that 2019 sort of free agent class after this year's draft class, they have to tank this year. You're right. They have to get someone like a Donchich or a Bagley or a... Who's Aiton on the market, though, for the Knicks? Like, whoever. Like, I know Courtney Lee's a guy that comes to mind personally, but who else on that organization could they Lee flip making? into... I think Courtney Lee's around the $11 million mark. I'm going to look this up right now, but Graffin, who do you think is you know a guy that the Knicks realistically could trade for some sort of asset, like maybe a young player or maybe a, a, a picks or something? Yeah. Yeah, you don't think anyone's into uh, Jakeem Noah right now? <laughs> oh, God. Might be the, that's the second worst contract in the NBA. I always will give it to Ian Mahinmi on the Washington Wizards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you said it already. I mean, maybe, like, well, Tim Hardaway Jr. and Courtney Lee are probably the two biggest players that you can take million away. for Courtney Lee. So they'll uh, keep they'll just, keep Hardaway. The Hardaway and Porzingis and uh It's also like a really untradeable contract. They're going to keep Cantor as well. Keep yeah, no, but 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 Courtney Lee, like that, like he, he's an older player. He's not part of the rebuild process. He's a win now guy. See, I could see him move, being moved now. There's two names that come to mind for me. That is Kyle Quinn, who's a really good yep. rim protector as like a bench guy, and Michael and, Beasley. 
<laughs> Michael Beasley. Well, oh, yeah. Well, everyone he's shooting, right? He may not. He, Doug McDermott may be a defensive liability, hey, but the Doug guy McDermott, can get the yeah. ball in the basket. He's a good three-point shooter. Maybe a two seconds, maybe a second. I wouldn't give up a first rounder for him, obviously. But Doug McDermott might be available, especially with a four-point-five million-dollar player option next mm-hmm. year. Yeah. He, well, shooters they're attractive right now in the league, right? Problem shooters is they don't play defense. Like they're usually not. Like they're usually players who who. They're not very athletic, so they they've they evolved as players by being a good shooter, and that's why guys like Westbrook, who survived the, off their athletic three and D. Well, those three and D guys are still so valuable. That's hard. No, I'm saying it's usually when you get a shooter, you're giving up something. We're well, talking defense. about Damari Carroll with that massive contract still, and he he's in trade talks. There's trade speculation for Damari Carroll right now, regardless of his contract, just the tangibles he brings to the table as a he three and D player. Absolutely, he can help a team. Yeah. Off it's a cool the thing bench. with the Brooklyn Nets though, is because they just they develop these like fringe prospects, like guys like Rondé Hollis-Jefferson or Karis LeVert, guys realistically that wouldn't be rotation guys in the NBA right now. Trade them high. That's what I would do mm-hmm. if I was Marks. Like, just trade all these guys. Like, trade all these guys who are playing above their skill set on a terrible organization and try to get some more picks back. All about the picks. Just get picks. Yeah. Do the Danny Ainge. Accumulate some assets. Guys, is there anything else you want to talk about? You mean the about? Sam Hinkie? The Sam Hinkie? Danny Ainge, man, Danny Ainge. Sam, he, Brandon, I, think he's, I think he's same relevant. Trust the process. Same relevance with uh, Sam. Brandon, I got a gripe. Wait, wait. Before we get to your gripe, can you give me one second? Graffin, is there anything else you want to talk about trade deadline wise? Is there anyone else out there? Well, I just think that you were talking about it earlier. Two teams, Portland and the Washington Wizards, are both going to be active at the trade deadline. You, you saw Gortat's already been floated around in mm-hmm. rumors, um, and I think that. I truly do think that Portland's going to look to try to make a move here. Uh, they've been talking about it the whole time. Or, uh, so, uh, kind of like a bigger name. Like I can see them going after a lot of the names even already like been DeAndre Jordan about. makes the a lot of sense Evans, to me. Like a DeAndre package of Jordan. Like, yep. like a package. Like the biggest issue of the Trailblazers last couple of years was just, well, last year they thought the salary cap would keep rising and they threw up these like ridiculous contracts. Like we talked Alan Crabb who got flipped with a first rounder to yeah. get out of that, yeah. sal- that, yep. you know, that yeah, contract. Yeah, they overpaid players. Dude, yeah. Evan Turner's making like $18 million a year. It's Mo Harkless at 11, like Mayors Leonard's at 10, Al Freak Aminu's at 8. You know, making a package of like Harkless and maybe like Nurchik and like, like a couple second rounders. But hold on, like what do you think about that trade? Nurchik, Harkless, two seconds for DeAndre Jordan. Who says no to that trade? I would do it. I mean, honestly, like DeAndre Jordan there gives them superstars. They need super, They need a superstar. They need a third superstar in Portland to make them like more relevant. Shoot first guards and CJ McCollum and Damian Lillard and just having that really stable presence in low post in DeAndre Jordan because Nurchik has been a shell of himself, was playing fantastic basketball last, last season after year, he got traded yeah. to the Nuggets. Then he had that back injury, I think, and he's yep. come back this year and he has not looked the same. So, you know, Nurchik is a guy that does have a lot of upside. Why not take him if I were either the Clippers, especially a team that's rebuilding right now? I mean, just like what you just said, though, is the back injury could be scary. So it's it's that's they the would have only to do their due diligence. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That is, that is true. And then the last player, sort of Marcus Smart. Uh, he's another player I can see going to OKC that they can target if they don't want to, you know, that's another go after Rob- a big Robertson. Yeah, exactly. Uh, a, a good sort of defensive. Because the Celtics are trying to. If correct me if I'm wrong, the Celtics are trying they to got shop Greg Monroe. Him. Well, they are shopping because you but also- four, but is it's it's so that they can get a, a first round pick, a pick yeah. to then go after. Another player well, think, is that correct? No, I think to the reason Williams, why they're right? looking. No, I think the reason why they're tra- trying to trade Marcus Smart is just the fact that they're going to have to resign him next year, and Marcus Smart's probably going to command minimum twelve million per year on a contract. Let's say four years, forty-eight million dollars. Celtics are ruthless, Cons- man. Considering they're like smart. 
They're smart. No, absolutely. but like, but like but even a guy like Terry Rozier, players that are playing yeah, but, for you. But Terry Rozier could fill that role immediately. He's been playing some fantastic basketball. No, but I'm saying Mark is smart as a player who lays it all out, puts his heart in his game, and now like when he's gonna, like, you know what I mean? Like what loyalty do they have to the guy? How many championships have they won if Mark is smart? What do you mean? He's been the guy diving on the on the floor for loose balls for the past three years while they've been ascending. Yeah, as but a the NBA. Well, they paid him to do that. No, no, I understand that. But what I'm saying, they paid him to do that. Okay, part of the reason why, listen, part of the reason why Cleveland isn't doing very well is because all the players are worried that they're going to be traded. You know what I mean? There's no camaraderie. There's no where in this together. The reason why Marcus Smart is going to make $12 million next year isn't because of his talent or his shooting capability. It's what you just said. It's his hustle play. It's his aggression, his willingness to sacrifice his own body for the better of the team. Hence why he'll command a contract like that. That's why Cleveland doesn't have a guy like that on their team. doesn't have a selfless player who will put put themselves... Yeah, you know what I mean. Behind the team yeah. itself, you thought Jay Crowder was that guy. Clearly, what didn't evolve into that this season. I don't know. Marcus Smart will get paid, and I, I wouldn't don't fault the Celtics for trading him. I'm not. At least no, no, I'm, I'm not cash out. I'm right not <laughs> faulting, but it just seems like they're an especially cutthroat organization with the, with this kind of stuff. You look at what happened with the whole Thomas situation, right? This is a guy that played on an injury that he's now like completely hamstrung by, and they fired all their doctors. Because they quote unquote misdiagnosed the injury, uh, ah, it sounds fucking fishy to me, man. <laughs> you know, what I mean? look, okay, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm, maybe it's my Celtics bias. Okay, uh, no big deal. That's not the gripe. I just wish LeBron waived his no trade clause, and it would just be the most dramatic. It would be the best 24 hours ever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we want Kuzma and Lonzo and your next 18 first rounders. What's, what's Rob Palenka? Yeah, we'll just uh, we'll take a first round pick for every year LeBron's uh, plays on your team in the league again. Yeah, yeah, you could get some like ridiculous. That's an interesting trade. That's an interesting. Okay, so our last segment of the day, the Diamond Pizza sponsored, not sponsored segment. Sponsored by the Diamond gripe pizza. of the day, the gripe of the week. Actually, Greg, what is the uh, what's infuriating right infuriating you right now? I can't speak. What is pissing you off? What do you want to talk about, buddy? Look. Uh, this is—it's a little bit of a tired point here. Uh, it's nothing, nothing new, nothing crazy. Did you guys happen to uh, look at all uh, at the media coverage following the Raptors Boston game? Did you look at all? Like, to, to just check in. I right? check the pulse of the NBA. So, for instance, uh, there was a players only broadcast that was going on last night where Golden State and OKC was playing, okay? Usually, they recap games prior, right? So there's an example of something you could check. You could also check the NBA website to see the headlines, okay? You would have no idea that the top two teams in the East that have identical records that are playing for first place in the East, it's a, it's a grudge match game. You have no idea that those teams were playing. You have no idea that the Raptors won this big game, okay? You know what they were talking about? You know what they were talking about on air? They were talking about the fucking Cavs. They were talking about the what's wrong with the Cavs, right? The storyline isn't what's right with the Raptors, right? It's what's wrong. It's just like this soap opera drama that they're dragging out. And they don't even, they can't even play the highlights, right? They can't even play the highlights. You go on NBA.com. Look at these, they talk about Giannis Antetokounmpo's dunk, right? These are the, are, are the headlines. Dunk of the century. We don't even get 
Do you know what? No, though? no, 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 no. I'm it, going back in the mic. Let me, let me chime in for one second. That was a great dunk. It was no Ricky Davis jumping over Steve Nash. No, Vince's dunk is still better when he dunked over the seven-footer in the That Olympics. wasn't in the NBA, though. It's still it's a dunk. <laughs> yeah, over some schmuck. Okay, so Who then, was from France? No, but he's seven feet tall. Hey, it's the best dunk I've, I've seen live. Like I yeah, saw it no, was it, when it, I was it, watching it, that it, game. It, it was absolutely tremendous. But look, I mean... Am I wrong here? I, I I just don't know what what else the Raptors like could do because you know what Jack was saying. He's like, look, you know, it's about the Nielsen ratings. At some point, it's not. It's just about kind of like respect. Man, we've been spewing this narrative since the start of this podcast. Nothing's going to change. You know, you think a season you would where think the team a first place fit. You think being the best team yeah. in well, the we, conference when would we get, get you first. a headline. When we get first place, we'll hopefully be able to get a. A shred, a shred of respect, because right now I honestly do think they got unlucky because it was the Przingis injury, the Giannis dunk. There was, of course, Golden State losing, which is a headline, and then the Cavs just being their general shit. You know, uh, so it's just the media it circus. So, I don't know. I kind of American see it from the media circus. Yep. Disrespect. Disrespect. All right, guys, thank you very much for listening. Again, you can catch us on SoundCloud. You can catch us on iTunes podcast app. Thank you very much for listening, guys. Have a fantastic rest of your week. Peace out, D-Doc. Woo-hoo.